TJ, I heard you singing today, buddy. <laughs> I heard you singing today. I'm so glad. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for being here. Um, Love is one of the needs of human beings. Uh, and Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he actually lists it uh, immediately following all of your basic needs. So you have your, like, your physiological needs, so food, water, oxygen, uh, and then security needs, uh, financial, financial security, security in a home. Uh, and then after that, he says that the next level of needs for human beings is love. And that includes lots of things, not just romantic love. Uh, that includes friendship, connection, and belonging to a group of people with a, with a sense of purpose. God created us this way. God created us for love, and God is the ultimate fulfillment of love. And Scripture is a story that we can see repeatedly is a love story, a story of God's radical love for us, constantly pursuing. And so today we're going to take a look at that. Imagine that truth. Let that sit in that the creator of all things loves you, actually loves you. I've titled our sermon today, The Radical Love of God, we continue in our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. Turn with me to Luke 15. We are going to look at the whole chapter uh, because it all ties into one story, uh, one focus on the radical love of God. And so I'm going to read Luke 15 for us and pray. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin and does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. 
And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to, to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of his servants questioning, one of the servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving for many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Help us as we examine this text today to see the depth of your love, to be in awe of it again and be changed by it. For your glory, God. Work in us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we work our way through this text, I want us kind of focusing in on uh, God's radical love for us. And there are other things that we could pull out, but I want us to see three uh, demonstrations of his radical love for us in this text. And the first thing we're going to see is this. God searches for sinners and rejoices when they repent. God searches for sinners and rejoices when they repent. Let's look at verses 1 and 2, just to get the context. Why did Jesus tell these three stories? All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. 
this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Eating a meal with someone in the culture of this day was a sign of accepting them, accepting everything about them. And so uh, someone with a horrible reputation, if you ate a meal with them, it was a sign that you approved fully of them and their lifestyle. And so this is the context for the parables Jesus gives. The outcast of society are drawing close to Jesus. They're wanting to hear from Him. There's something different about this man and the demonstration of love that is there. And yet, the Pharisees and the scribes, when they see this, they're grumbling, they're complaining. This man welcomes in the tax collectors and the sinners. In Matthew 11, Jesus actually quotes them and says, uh, You call me a friend of sinners. And what a beautiful for those of us who are sinners, that we have a Savior who actually came to be our friend. Jonathan Edwards says, God in Christ allows such little poor creatures as you to come to Him to love communion with Him and to maintain a communication of love with Him. He is come down from heaven and has taken upon Him the human nature in purpose that He might be near to you and might be, as it were, your companion. Edward says, you know, just imagine this reality that Jesus Christ came For the very purpose to draw close to you so that you could experience the nearness of God and experience the love of God. And of course, the people who don't think that they are sinners are really troubled by this. The scribes and the Pharisees who have become extremely legalistic in their way of living and we're going to prove that we are doing everything right to earn God's love. And they're thinking to themselves, can you believe it? That this man Jesus would let someone like that come to him. And so that's our context. uh, That the worst of sinners are drawing close to Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes are outraged at it. And so Jesus confronts them with these three parables. The first two are very short Uh, with the same point. Uh, We'll kind of walk through quickly in these. Uh, The third one, still the same point, the same focus, which is all focusing on the radical love of our God. Uh, But the third one we'll spend a little more time in because it carries so much more detail. So the first story that Jesus uses, he asks the question, which of you who has a hundred sheep... If one of your sheep ends up lost, isn't going to go out and find the lost sheep. You're going to leave behind the 99. And you're going to go and find the one that is lost. That's what shepherds do. That's what the owners of the sheep would do. They're going to care for them. And he says, and when that sheep is found, 
There's going to be much joy, right? He will joyfully pick up the sheep and put it on his shoulders and carry it home and then call together friends, neighbors, family, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. It's time to celebrate. Jesus says, you understand that, right? If you had a hundred sheep, you would go out and try to find the lost one. And the the story doesn't say because this was the really special sheep, right? The story doesn't say this is the sheep that was like the prize winner at the fair. It doesn't say this is a sheep that can do something amazing that draws in crowds. It's just one of the sheep. The only reason the owner of the sheep would seek it out is because he loves it. He cares for it. That's, that's, he wants to make sure that it is brought back safe and doesn't come to harm. And then the second story, a lost coin, says what woman who has ten silver coins and loses one is not going to do whatever it takes to find the lost coin. She's going to light a lamp. She's going to sweep the house Homes in the day of this parable, most homes didn't have a window. The only light that made it in was through the small door. And if you wanted to light the room, you had to light a lamp. Most of the floors were hardened dirt floors that would oftentimes have straw covering the floor. And so he takes that picture and says, think of a woman who loses a silver coin. The coin that he references is about a day's wage. What woman wouldn't then light a lamp and search fervently until the coin is found? She's going to sweep back the straw. She's going to move whatever she's got to move until she finds that lost coin. And then Jesus makes his point of helping them think through the idea of something being lost and being found and the the celebration that would would happen in that. And so in verse 7, we see this, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance And then skipping down to verse 10, I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. In both cases of these short parables, Jesus is trying to say, think about the celebration that you would have over a found sheep or a found coin. That pales in comparison to the celebration in heaven When a sinner repents and comes back to God. God is a God that seeks out what is lost. And then celebrates when a sinner is willing to repent and come back to Him. In verse 7, there is a, a, a point I want to clarify. He says, I, I tell you... There, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. It's important for us to remember we all need repentance. We are all sinners. 
remember who he's telling these stories to, and we'll talk about it more in the final parable, but he's talking about the Pharisees who have these hardened hearts who are angry about these horrible sinners in their eyes coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, there's more rejoicing in heaven over the one that repents than over the 99 others who think they've really got their act together. Than over the 99 others who don't even realize that they desperately need repentance. Both of these parables are pointing out God searches out what is lost. God said that He was going to do that. That's part of why He sent His Son Jesus And so in Ezekiel, God speaking through the prophet, we see these words. Ezekiel 34, verses 11 and 12. For this is what the Lord says, See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is coming, or on the day that he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. God says, that's, that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to search out those of mine who are lost. And the chapter actually goes on to clarify that this is when He sends His promised Messiah. When He sends the promised One, the Messiah is going to be with His people and caring for His people and rescuing the lost. And 600 years later, after Ezekiel speaks these words, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes onto the scene and is the Good Shepherd who cares for his sheep and seeks out what is lost. He came for that purpose. He was on a rescue mission. And what a radical demonstration of God's love. That people who have turned from him, who have rebelled against him, that God would seek them out. Not give them the cold shoulder, but God would seek them out and rescue them, and rejoice over them when they come back to Him. God searches for sinners and rejoices when sinners repent. Our second point from the text in Luke 15 is this. God lavishes His love on repentant sinners. God lavishes His love on repentant sinners. So now we get to the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. Uh, We often, when we look at this, think of it in terms of like, who am I in the story? Or who have I been before? And we reflect on that, and that's important. Uh, But it's also showing us still the radical love of our God. Who is our God? What kind of love does our God demonstrate towards us? And we see that God lavishes His love on repentant sinners. Okay, so the, this goes into a greater detail than the first two, still focused on the same thing. Verses 11 through 16, uh, 11 through 18 or 19, I'm not going to read all of these again, but the parable starts with a man having two sons. And the younger of the two comes to him and says, I want what's coming to me. 
I want you to divide up the estate and give me what I have. Ultimately telling the father, I'm ready for you to be dead. But since that's not happening, give me what's mine so that I can enjoy it now. And the father doesn't argue with the son over the request. It says he divides up the assets and gives them to, gives it to them, gives both sons their share. In the day, the older son would get two-thirds of the estate and the younger son would get a third of the estate. He divides up the assets and gives it to the sons. And the younger son then, in almost no time, packs up his things and heads to a far country where the Scripture says he spends all he has on foolish living. He wastes away his entire inheritance. It says until he has nothing. He had nothing left to his name from what his father had given him. And he ends up having to take a job for someone in the country. And that person sends him out into the fields to feed the pigs. A job that no Jew would have taken. No Jew would have wanted this kind of work because pigs were an unclean animal. And you would not associate with them. You wouldn't take care of them because you would then be defiled yourself. But this man is in such a horrible place, he has to accept this kind of work. And it says he longed to eat the food that he was giving to the pigs. But the people he worked for and the people that he worked around wouldn't give him anything. He couldn't even have the pig slop. This is the definition of rock bottom, right? He's reached the lowest of low in his life. He has nothing left to his name and, and is working and starving to death. And it says in verse 17, he he comes to his senses or he comes to himself. He has a, a, an awakening, a, a moment of clarity and says, my father has all of these workers that work for him, all of these hired hands, and there's not one of them who does not have full stomachs, right? They have more than enough food to eat. And here I am starving. And so he comes up with a plan. I'll go back to my father. I'll confess to my father. I've sinned. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. And I'm not worthy to be your son any longer. Would you please let me become a hired worker? If I could just work for you so that I don't starve to death, I would be so thankful. And so we're going to pick up the father's response in verse 20 through 24 of Luke 15. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, 
Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Radical demonstration of Love in this story. And of course, it's pointing us to the radical demonstration of God's love towards us. The fact that he sees the sun at such a great distance indicates he was looking for the sun. He's waiting for the sun to come home, longing for the sun to come back to him. And he's filled with compassion, not anger. He's not going to respond with a heart of like, I can't believe what you've done. But he is filled with compassion and joy that his son is coming back home. And he doesn't wait for him to come. He runs to him. He runs to his son. This goes against all cultural norms of the day. A father would wait to be given a sign of respect from his son in the culture of the day. A father would never run after a son who has done what this son has done in the culture of the day. There would be uh, time for confession, time for begging of forgiveness. He would not be uh, respond in such an undignified way for to run after somebody else. That was completely against the norms. And here, in a story that's reminding us of who our God is, Jesus says, this father, he ran after his son. The second he saw him, he ran and laid across his neck and kissed him. And the Greek word is a repeated action. The tense that is used is an over and over action. An embracing of his son and kissing him. An embracing him and kissing him over and over again. You're back. You're okay. I, uh, it's happening now, so I'll just let you know. When I, when I prepared for the sermon, I choked up many times. And we should. Uh, the, the love of our Father, the love of God towards us should be staggering to us. It is amazing. The Son makes His confession. In verse 21, he says, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And I'm not worthy to be your son. And that's as far as he gets in his speech. Remember, the, the rest of the speech was to go, so since I'm not worthy to be your son anymore, would you just let me be a worker for you? Could I just work as a, as a servant and just know that I can get enough bread so that I don't starve? That was what the rest of the speech was supposed to do. And yet he never got to that point. The father cuts him off and says, bring my son the best of robes. Bring the family ring a sign that he is part of this family. Put sandals on his feet. 
And let's celebrate. It's time to party. We're going to kill the fattened calf. That would be the animal that was you took care of in order to have the best of feast. Or if you needed to make a special sacrifice, then you would kill the fattened calf for that purpose. And he says, kill the fattened calf. It's time to celebrate. It's time to rejoice. He makes sure and makes it clear that the son is part of his family. He's fully restored to the family. And so, yes, this parable is called the parable of the prodigal God appropriately, I mean, the prodigal son appropriately, but it is also a parable that reminds us of the extravagance of God's love. And so I love the way Tim Keller helps us think about that in his book titled The Prodigal God. He says this, The word prodigal does not mean wayward. It means to spend until you have nothing left. And so this term is therefore appropriate in describing the father in the story. The father's welcome to the repentant son is literally reckless because he refused to reckon his sin against him or to demand a repayment for what has been lost. Jesus is showing us the God of great expenditure who is nothing if not prodigal towards us, his children. God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. I love that language from Keller's book, The Prodigal God. He is lavish in his love towards us. Not cold. He lavishes his love on us. John speaks of this in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are the reason the world did not know, uh, does not know us is that it, it did not know Him. He starts that chapter with, Look at God's great love. That He would take someone like us and call us His children. And not just call us His children, but actually make us His children. He says we are God's sons and God's daughters. The NIV says, look at the great love the Father has lavished on us. God's love, He lavishes it on us. It's extravagant. It makes no sense for a sinner like me to be loved by God the way He loves me. Forgiving us. Adopting us into His family. Making us co-heirs with Jesus. That makes no sense, but that's the kind of God that we have. He has a radical love for us. And He's lavished it on us through Jesus Christ. The third thing I want us to see in this text is this. God invites both rebels and self-righteous legalists into a relationship with Him. God invites both rebels and self-righteous legalists into a relationship with Him. He's inviting all kinds of sinners to come to Him. So let's look at the rest of the story, which is pointed to the Pharisees and the scribes because of their reaction to what Jesus is doing. 
In verse 25 to 27, we hear that the older son has been working out in the fields and he comes home and he hears the singing, he hears the dancing, he can hear the music playing, and he calls one of the servants and says, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? And the servant says, your brother's home. He came back and your father is throwing the biggest of feasts. He's killed the fattened calf and we're having a party. You should come in and see it. Come see your brother. And in verse 28 to 32, we see the interaction. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving for many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother is livid when he hears what's taking place, when he hears why there is a celebration going on. He refuses to go into the party and the father comes to him. The father seeks him out and begs him, would you just come in and enjoy this? Would you just come in and celebrate and rejoice? And so in this interaction, what we learn is the oldest son shows that he's far off from the father too. He may, ha- he may have been physically close to the father all along, but his heart is far from the father's heart. And he makes these accusations against the father that aren't true. He says, I'm, I've been a slave for you. I've been slaving after you, whatever you want me to do, and you've never given me anything. Which, according to the beginning of the story, isn't true, because the beginning of the story, the father divides the assets and gives them to them. The prodigal son and the older brother receive their share of the estate. And so, that's not true. But he is far away from the father. And he doesn't understand the Father's ways. And yet the Father is saying, would you just come in? Would you just come and be close to me? Would you just experience the love that I have for you? And he tries to reason with him. Tries to get him to join the celebration. And he says, look, everything that I have is yours. What are you talking about? And you've always been with me. But it's right. It's the only appropriate thing for us to do would be to celebrate that your younger brother is back home. That he's safe. It's the appropriate thing. And that, of course, is directed right at the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes who at the beginning of the story 
are hardened and bitter and angry because Jesus is welcoming in the worst of sinners. And this all was leading to this point. And we don't know how the older brother responds in the story. He leaves it open because it's an invitation to the scribes and Pharisees. Would you just come in? And experience my love. Would you just come in and feel the warmth of the celebration that I have for you? That's a radical kind of love. That he invites all of us, whatever kind of sinner who is away from him, he invites us all into a relationship with him, into a restored relationship. He's open to the rebels coming to him and he's open to the self-righteous legalists who think they've got it all together. He's saying, would you just come in? Would you please come and experience this? God is a God who invites us in. And so in Isaiah, we see the invitation in Isaiah 55. Verse 1, come. Everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. And skipping down to verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way. And let the sinful one his thoughts And the sinful one, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. The Lord's invitation to all sinners is come, come home, come to him, seek him, and he will forgive. We are all desperately in need of the love of God. And God's word today reminds us. That we have a God who loves us. We have a God who has a radical love for us. He seeks us out. That doesn't make sense. He seeks us out because He loves us. He rejoices over us when we turn to Him and believe in His Son. He lavishes His love on us. Pours it out over us. He's not stingy with it. And He invites us all into this relationship with Him. And so if you're here today and you've never experienced the love of God through putting your faith in Jesus Christ, the invitation that God is, is extending to you is, would you come? Would you come to Him? Would you believe in Jesus? And Scripture says, if you do, you, no matter what you've done, If you would come to Him, you will experience the warm embrace of a loving Father. And He will bring you into His family. You will be forgiven of your sins. Come. And if you want to know more about putting your faith in Christ, please see me or one of the elders or ministry leaders here. Church, for us, let's never forget the deep love of our Father. Let's never forget that. What if this week we lived every waking moment knowing for a fact, my God loves me 
He has poured out a lavish, radical, reckless, crazy kind of love on me, a sinner. It would change everything if we could really walk in our lives believing that. When we find ourselves in sin again, we would run to Him knowing He loves me. He's going to welcome me back. And it would change how we view others and how we view our purpose in this world. Because if God would love someone like me, He's got love for for anyone. And I can share that with them and invite them in to come. We could be a place if we would walk in the love of God that truly is a place where sinners are welcomed and embraced. And that's what I long for us. That's what God desires for us. Scriptures reminded us we have a loving God who has loved us with a radical love and that changes everything. Let's pray. God, You are always faithful. We thank You and praise You for Your love towards us. We confess that we don't deserve it, but help us receive it. Help us walk in it. Help our lives be changed because of it. And Holy Spirit, please, if there are any here who have not received the love of God through faith in Christ, stir their hearts today to believe. Give them eyes to see and believe the good news of the gospel. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.